And I was so happy to see a little husky bouncing around in Antarctica being happy until he turned inside out and killed the other. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida. And this week's episode is The Thing, 1982. Better known as John Carpenter's The Thing. (laughs) Before we get started, I just need to say that um, I'm leaving to New Zealand in the morning in like six hours or seven hours. And I've just spent the night away at a birthday party in Apollo Bay. <clears throat> I'm a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I am a wreck. I'm a mess. Abby, when you were in uh, Melbourne, did you ever drive down to the Great Ocean Road? Yes. Did you ever do that? Yeah, we did it, yeah. You know the fucking winding road? Yeah. The fuck, fuck that windy yeah. road. We did. I've never been in so much pain, like driving back, <laughs> like driving back from a big night that windy road and just like I have to make it back I have to record this podcast like and I must have stopped the car like like half a dozen times just me being like I'm right I could do this <laughs> anyway I made it I'm, I'm, a, I'm a wreck so um and I haven't even packed for my conference I'm going to on a stroke conference yeah I'm going to New Zealand to do a stroke conference um, in order to get ready to record this before, like my trip was like such tight planning. I was like, by Thursday, uh, this has to be done by Friday. That has to be done so I can make this birthday party so I can record this podcast, but I'm ready. I'm here, but I'm messy as all hell. I'm a mess. <laughs> so, um, so I've just got to say one thing because I know we said, so we like, as we go through the general recording, we don't interact with the comments, but also because we're doing co-hosting, we can't see each other's yeah. comments. And I need Frida to know that um, there's a comment has just been made on mine that says, you give sapphic 70s energy and I'm all for it. <laughs> and I'm assuming that was directed at you, Frida. <laughs> and I had this quote because it's like Apollo Bay in winter. You have to have a pretty warm mm. coat if you're going to go, even if you're partying a little bit. So this is like my party coat. So I, I got a, a lift back to Melbourne, but only like very far from where I live. So I had to take two trams, yeah. like dropped off. And then in this coat, just like a wreck, like shivering. <laughs> but I made it. I'm here. It's good vibes, man. So uh, Can I tell you, like when we did the Great Ocean Road, like we did the stupid ass thing that we thought was smart at the time where we drove the inland route all the way to like the 12 apostles and then drove the ocean road route back right the problem with doing it that way in the winter is that it's a really long drive to the 12 apostles and then a lot of the drive on the way back is not the scenic route on the ocean and by the time you get to the scenic route on the ocean and it's dark that's a disappointment The whole thing is a disappointment, like enough ocean. I get it. There's the ocean. It sparkles. 
how much of this ocean can we take already? More ocean, more ocean. It's winding. Like, I'm like, I don't care. Well, we didn't even get the ocean because by the time we got there, it was dark. So then the the whole part where you're supposed to see like the great ocean drive was dark. (laughs) Was stupid. I fucked the great ocean road. Whatever. Anything else going on? Uh, Yeah. So I told you about it a little while ago, but um, we've talked about this a little bit before in terms of how when we do recording, sometimes like my laptop just dies and and it restarts and it overheats and it does this drama. And officially, my laptop has died. Fully died. It's gone. It is no more. It will not turn on. And to be honest, like I'm at such high stress level in terms of just existing within my PhD at the moment that I don't even have the brain space to be emotional about it. I'm very stressed. I no longer have a laptop. <laughs> I don't know what to do about my life. <laughs> oh no. But I just can't believe it. Like it was just, and Patreon it was this morning time. and the panic this morning of trying to set everything up so that we could record. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, what is happening? Why? You're staring at my little baby going, just turn on, just turn on, please turn on. So yeah, that's my only news right now. My science life is a little bit messed up because <laughs> I don't have a laptop anymore. <laughs> Yay, PhD student life. Oh, no. <laughs> We need that cash money. We do. I know. Anyway, that is all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wish I could offer you more help. I know. It's fine. It's awful. (laughs) You can can feed my soul with uh, some some chat about science in in a movie. (laughs) All right, let's go. The thing. Bearded daddy, Kurt Russell. (laughs) Um, Stars in the remake of... The Thing from Another Planet, which is based on the 1981 novelization by Alan Dean Foster, which itself is derived from the 1938 novella Who Goes There by John W. Campbell. Okay. A bunch of men, a bunch of men are working on a scientific research outpost in Antarctica, heading for the long winter, the long night. And a Norwegian man flies over, crazed, from the Norwegian base, trying to kill a dog. And he says to them, get the hell out away from that thing. That's not a dog. It's some sort of thing. It's imitating a dog. It isn't real. Get away, you idiots. But he says it in the wrong language because nobody speaks Norwegian but the Norwegian. (laughs) The movie should have ended right there. But lucky for us, it doesn't. And they shoot him. Soon enough, however, we ourselves see that the dog is a thing. The latest iteration of some hive mind alien species that has been traveling the universe, assimilating anything and everything it can find. And pretty soon, nearly everybody becomes the thing. When did they become the thing? How will they become the thing? Am I a thing? Is my cactus a thing? That was really me all week. Are all my succulents the thing? (laughs) Kurt Russell tries and fails to devise ways of telling which of his buddies are about to eat him alive. But in the end, he fails and is stuck with Child, who he is pretty sure is a thing, who is a the thing. But he's fucking over it at that point, because whatever. He's like, be a thing, Childs. I don't think I could care. (laughs) And that is the thing. Cool. 
I'm glad you said that what? about them speaking Norwegian at the start and what they actually said because I had no idea what was being said. Isn't that funny? <laughs> it's just like <laughs> that's the whole part of the movie. It's like it's like Norwegian people like don't get to enjoy the to enjoy the thing. <laughs> if you're from Norway, like it rules you out. But before we get stuck into the movie. Uh, you know, when it came out in 1982, people really hated it. Yeah. Um, and because it competed with E.T., which is funny because oh. last time I was like, it should be E.T. or The Thing. It came out around the same time, which is like this really nice alien uh, to think about. And people thought this was just nihilistic. Right. And I think people were going through a recession and the, the 80s people in a recession wanted happy things. They're not like the nihilistic <laughs> people that we are. Having in it, like, we want the gore. Anyway, so I'll just read you some of the uh, reviews. Okay. Like, because it's amazing. New York Times, instant junk. <laughs> it says, foolish, depressing. Used merely as props to be hacked. Sla- the people are used merely as props to be hacked, slashed, disemboweled, decapitated, finally to be eaten, and then regurgitated. <laughs> it is too phony to be disgusting. It only qualifies as instant junk. And the, mag- the magazine Cinefantastic ran a cover that said, is this the most hated movie of all time? Really? <laughs> yeah. And then this is from Starlog, another publication. John Carpenter's The Thing smells, and it smells pretty bad. It has no pace, sloppy, sloppy continuity, zero humor, bland characters on top of being totally devoid of either warmth or humanity. It's my contention that John Carpenter was never meant to direct a science fiction horror film. Here's some things he'd be better suited to direct. Traffic accidents, train wrecks, and public floggings. That's harsh. So, yes. That, this is also that after is Halloween. harsh, Ty. So John Carpenter completely misjudged what the people wanted mm. and... Like I said, it just he, he didn't take the pulse correctly and he was so hurt by this. Like it affected him going forward, his career, his confidence was kind of shot because of this. Of course, now it's got the cult following and people have gone on to digest it for like, you know, generations. And even filmmakers that we've covered that we love cite as they influence the thing, including Neil Blomkamp, Edgar Wright, and a couple of others, J.J. Abrahams and Quentin Tarantino, all, all say this was a huge influence on them. So it, that's pretty fascinating stuff. Having yeah. said all that, I'm so excited to hear what you thought about it. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I liked it. It's fine. I don't have strong feelings about it. There's definitely things to do with it that I think are over the top. Um... Like, I, I don't know what to say now, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I've got, I've got some comments to do with John Carpenter and and a specific thing with the movie, but I don't know whether to say it now or not. So. Okay. Well, well, we can talk specifics in a bit. I I thought it'd be funny because I know like your reaction to the fly I remembered and here we have another both hands being cut off scene and this is even worse because it's they even give us the 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 sound the the, like plucking of the bones and they're like that was that scene it's so much more involved than this fly scene yeah yeah so 
Uh, I was curious how you, what you felt about it, but um, can I say how, what I think about this movie? Yeah. I actually, I'm like, it doesn't even matter what I think about it. It's more like how I feel watching it because I, I am so scared watching the thing. I'm like it's terrified, and it's not even the gore. I think the gore for me is like funny almost. It's like I can't look away from the gore. It's so over the top. It's so the animatronics are so good. Like that's the enjoyable parts of the movie. The other parts, the the corridor, the stalking, the the terrible fear about where it's going to be. Like it permeates, and I I felt I was like chills, and I even was like whimpering quite a lot. Like I was so afraid like I had my breathing was like rapid and shallow my heart was something I'm sweating like the whole time in the movie it just has such an effect on me and I can't look away and do I like that like I do I don't I, I don't I, I don't know why but I, I really love it I was just glued to the screen and am I a sicko I love horror I, I really but love this, this. Is the I love I yeah. love the fear I love feeling that afraid uh, but the, I'm not I'm not contesting that feeling. I have absolutely no problem with that feeling. I always like me me and my best friend growing up, we used to we used to do movie nights where it was just horror binge nights. And like I have always enjoyed horror movies. I did not find this scary. Like it didn't scare me. Wow. Wow. Like I think there's elements there's there's the gore. Oh, that's the disgusting and there's the idea of like this supernatural thing and yeah it's been traveling the universe absorbing god knows what and so there's the horror of what you're seeing but there's the um the other fear which is like the like there's no safety anywhere and there's a paranoia and doesn't that scare you I, like no i think it's like the fact that like halloween terrified me john carpenter's halloween was terrifying um the thing was just like what scares me more is just like the environment of of where they are the isolation of where yeah. they are that that kind of thing yeah. um th- i can't say the i can't use the word thing <laughs> now at any point so that definitely gets me a little bit um but in terms of the the actual actions i don't i don't rem- i didn't feel particularly fearful watching mm-hmm. it okay all right no, no dramas. Let's keep going, anyways. Yep. But yeah, it has it has an effect on me. I pick up on a lot of the ambient. I think even just the the first shot of the dog down the corridor already, I'm just shaking. Okay. Um, not even knowing what's going on. Okay, so let's let's um, pull out a couple scenes. I reckon. All right. Let's pull out some some scenes. Well, what do you want to pull out? Can I can I just bring up the thing about John Carpenter before we talk scenes then? Sure. Uh, Because my main thing, and I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to figure out where did I actually write it down? Because I wrote multiple times throughout, throughout it uh, was, um, so why the fuck are they shooting at the dog? Stop chasing the dog. I hope their helicopter blows up because they're chasing a dog. I just don't like that it's a dog. Um, the dog scene. I'm not okay. What the fuck is with the dogs? Leave the dog alone. And then eventually I just ended up writing down, what the fuck is John Carpenter's problem with dogs? Because he killed the dog in Halloween as well. Um, he's actually invading every possible source of comfort um, and turning it into something insidious. And 
like I said, there's no, there's nowhere safe. And it's deeply yeah. upsetting. Like after the thing, every time I, I see, I love dogs, but this week I was like, I like dogs and fuck you, John Carpenter. But he, exactly. You know, that's what I think. But that's the thing. And it's that for me, like that, the main thing in the whole movie, the main scene that really sticks out to me and I pick is that scene in the, um, in the in the enclosure with all the dogs and it's just like stop i can't watch this to me the the part that i get the biggest reaction from was the blood test scene yeah that that it's like there's a few things one is the jump when the blood jumps and the shock because it's not who you thought it was going to be and there's the double shock when you're like they've been the thing the whole time and the horror of the fact that they've from the beginning probably it's been them and that's right. so it's like they're so psychologically upsetting more than the jump scare more than the thing that what unfolds in front of our eyes it's just like this it's like this and that scene is i love that scene i love it yeah you got any scenes you want to I, I had picked out the blood scene as well um and and also then is it before or after it? I think it's the one just before it, isn't it? The CPR scene and you brought it up with the hands. That. Yeah. <laughs> they put so much effort. Those, that animatronics. And we could just, I could just pull this up here. Uh, who does the animatronics? Uh, I put the name in the notes for both of us. Bob. Uh, animatronics. Rob Botton mm. did the animatronics, but I, I just appreciate, especially the CPR scene, you can see the, the, the extra lengths that they go through to, to really gross us out. Yeah. The bre- the it, popping, like, exactly. you know what I mean? It's <laughs> the so, popping of the bones. It's so intense. <laughs> oh my God. It's just the whole opening up on, and then the hands are and gone. The, and uh, <laughs> everything just sounds. Yeah. And then the spider. <laughs> Also, it actually, like to come back to Toy Story, yeah, because sorry, because I wrote it down and I forgot to bring it up. To come back to the blood testing scene as well, like there's just things, the the things that are so uncomfortable about it are like the fact that they cut the tip of the finger. Like, how is oh, it that yeah, that's yeah. the part that uh, isn't that even more than more anything gross? else? You have things. Anything else is the. Is that's the thing. Everything. <laughs> cutting opening their own up, fingers. I cutting know. body parts off. And then just that. Just using. you To to get the blood out, they cut the finger. The tip of the finger along there. And I'm like, that is the most uncomfortable moment in the entire movie for me. Stop it. Stop. Why why choose it's that weird, position? Right? That is disgusting. <laughs> but how about the spider head? Which is like. That. <laughs> tongue pulling out and the slow scuttle yeah but it reminds me of the toy story sid's sid taking the doll's head on the spider (laughs) do you know that scene in toy story when all the deformed things come out and i think that that must be the thing reference like what else can it possibly be and i actually think the faculty that movie from like 1999 when when uh fumke jansen she plays like the teacher who's an alien and there's a point where they get like blown up and her head is on the tentacles, crawling, trying to get to the, the body. Yeah. Do you remember that? And then even like Breaking Bad, the tortoise and the head just like scuttling along. I, and I think that is iconic. It's yeah. iconic. It's so good. 
Um, and I love even the way the spider head pauses in the corridor and it, it's like, oh shit. Because it tries to sneak away and they're like, shit. And it, it, the spider thing is like, shit. <laughs> so can I tell you something about the scene, right? Because this is where I got a bit confused because I was convinced that McCready was the thing. And that scene is what okay. solidified it for me because I was convinced that in that moment he saw the spider head and the others were trying to come into it and they they were trying to come in with the fire stuff and he was just like, uh, or with the extinguishers and he was like, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. And I thought he was trying to stop them from coming in to give the spider head time to get away and I thought he was watching it move away. And then that shot where they're all facing forward and the spider head is creeping behind him to go out. I thought that that was him ignoring it intentionally to let it escape. And then when they all turned around that it was like, oh shit, now I have to blow you up because you didn't get away. So when he wasn't the thing, I was like, what the hell was that scene? That scene, it was a lot of misdirection and a lot of blocking and you honestly yeah. couldn't see what was going on. But it's funny because the guy that says, what the fuck is the thing? Okay, any other best bits? Or uh, no. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, so just go over a little bit of cast and crew. Uh, we, so we've covered John Carpenter. This is our second outing from John Carpenter. The music is by Ennio Morricone as well, which is so funny because it's such John Carpenter-esque music. The music is unreal. It's like the ambience, but it's funny because it's like, he's like, oh, we're going to get Ennio Morricone to do it because we have a big budget. And Ennio's like, I might just do it like you. I'll just do exactly like you did, which is great. And I just want to jump back for one second and say, did you see The Hateful Eight? No. Quentin Tarantino. No, I haven't watched it. Kurt Russell, isolated from the snow and the weather, in a place with a lot of people who no one knows who's a thing and who isn't a thing, effectively, with music by Ennio Morricone, some of which is taken from the thing. Oh. So I think Quentin Tarantino is a little obsessed with this movie. <laughs> uh, but he's an obsessive guy. What can you say? Um, okay, let's talk about cast. Apart from Daddy Kurt, um, do you want to say anything about Kurt Russell? Um, I thought he was very good. It's so good. That's pretty it. much it. He's just boozing. Oh, no, I do have something. He's just boozing the whole time. Wait, I just need to... Um... Oh, yeah. Sorry, I just... I saw a note of something I had said about earlier that I didn't... Um, that I never... That I never mentioned. Uh... Can we talk? Oh yeah. So this is this is the thing I wrote down about Kurt Russell's character. Mostly, it was just like, can we talk about his pilot Stetson look? Um, because all I could think about was, do you remember when Pharrell Williams? I was like, do you remember when Pharrell Williams got that that hat moment thing that he did? And I was like, is that is was this the inspo for that? That that weird hat that Pharrell Williams decided to go around wearing for a while. I was like, that's this is where he got it from. It was Kurt Russell and the thing. What was that hat? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Anything else? Um, about Kurt Russell, no. But I do know that like there just came to a point where I was like, there's just so many of them that I can't actually keep track of who the hell is who. Like I had no idea. I was like, there's there's so many of them and I'm just like, keeps randomly saying names every now and then and I'm not sure which character you're talking about anymore and I don't know who's who. At the end of the day, I knew who McCready was, I knew who Gary was and I knew who Blair was and Childs and the rest of them could have been anyone. <laughs> That's all you need to know yeah. and I'll help you later okay, with that. Okay, thanks. 
Um, I'll help you with that later. But yeah, there's nothing for me to bring out any about the cast at this point. And we can talk about separate people a bit later if they're relevant. So let's talk about themes real quick. I have th- isolation paranoia and the universe as my themes because the universe is that the implications of the fact that the creature has been sleeping for maybe a hundred thousand years so he just took a little nap yeah you know and before that he was just going around the universe and just assimilating different species and we see little hints of the kind of things that exist in the universe and then he'll just go for another hundred thousand years nap and the terror that put in me of our feeling of smallness, not only in how long humanity has existed, but how much we're irrelevant in the big scheme of what else exists in the universe. I found that like probably one of the more scary ideas in the film. And then the human sort of psychological aspects of being paranoid and isolation were pretty clear. So what do you think of that? Like we, we have talked before about about your whole space therapy thing and stuff. So I guess like I'm just, yeah, um, I've become quite comfortable with the idea that in the, in the grand scheme of things, we are tiny and we will not survive. I think that we are either rare or unique. And, um, but that doesn't mean that we are powerful in comparison to the expanse of the universe and everything around us. We are fragile. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I'm terrified of space. I don't, I, as we know, we've covered this. It's I'm not getting better. <laughs> I look at the James Webb photos and I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to see. I just, it's not for me. Okay. Okie dokie. Let's go into our first section, trope of the week. Abby, when you watched The Thing, was there a trope that you wanted to bring up? I have a couple. Do you have any? I mean, only men go to the Arctic, apparently. <laughs> 12 angry men is that what can this i was? respond that at the end yeah can i yeah. can i respond yeah, to that sure. at the end? <laughs> in our section yeah keep going <laughs> i have a thing to say about that it's so funny anymore um yeah john carpenter leaves the dogs alone john carpenter killing dogs it's truly killing dogs is awful how about um who did kojak who did Kojak? John Carpenter? No, I don't know Someone who did, did it. I've never seen it. I'm not going to watch that. I will never watch that movie. Don't watch it. Don't even okay. think about picking this ever. I will never watch it. <laughs> I will. So it. how about taking man's best friend and turning man's best friend into the most horrible thing that you can imagine? I mean, it's so mean. Yeah. But I don't feel like John Carpenter hates, hates us as much as Stanley Kubrick hates us oh, in okay. a funny way. I don't know. I don't get his... He's trying to make us feel terrified, but not in the sadistic way of fucking Santa Cooper. Okay. <laughs> right. What are your tropes? I've got a funny trope here. Okay. When they go to the Norwegian base, they, they go past like this, the set and they have, it's the lotions and the potions. They have yeah. a chemistry set of flask and it's like green, purple, science, Norwegian science. And to follow that up, there's a bit like where I think it might be, um, one of their fukes, I think, holding like a flask. But it's not as good as the Norwegian base when the flasks are like in different fluorescent colours. So that was a callback to we have a trope called lotions and potions, yeah. which is the, the way movies like to put labs. It makes us chuckle. Yeah. Open flasks, colours. 
delicious. That's how labs are. All labs as well. All labs look like the lotions and potions chemistry lab, which is brew. Lotions and potions. <laughs> okay. I have one which actually kind of might be my what the fuck, but whatever. Okay. okay. Something is killing. Oh, no. Here we go. This is the one. Something is killing everything in horrible ways. But don't destroy it. We could be rich. This is a discovery. Oh, we're going to be rich. But we know at this point that it kills everything in the most despicable ways. But oh, science. Uh-huh. That was the same thing with Alien because it was that whole, and I know, I know that in the end, like Alien, the guy, like you know, that he he was a robot, and that that's who's like the preservation, and that's what his his directive was. But like, just yeah, just this like, why why would you think like, oh, this is a specimen? We could we could make so much money off this thing that kills everybody, infects everyone, and you have no idea who everyone. it is. <laughs> this is a good idea. There's so many movies. <laughs> Every uh, there's so many movies like that where it's like this is horrible, kill it immediately. Oh, there's also, actually a lot of those things here. Yeah, but also like the, uh, in connection to the whole like there's this thing and it's just killing everyone and it's like oh yeah that everything's fine let's keep it for science. There's also the fact that there's never a moment where it's like hey maybe we shouldn't ever leave anyone alone. Would that be a yeah, good that was idea? A, that was my other one. Yeah, how about, like, uh, this was actually kind of a what the fuck, but I'm sure I have more what the fucks, but let me get the character's name. Knowles. Knowles, at the end. There's, like, literally three left surviving, and he sees Blair pulling Gary by the face, like, using his skin as, like, to pull him. And he doesn't go, he doesn't go, help! Help, come here! He just sort of follows them into yeah. the darkness <laughs> why why is everybody constantly going off alone just just to be killed if, if it was me and i was one in that space i would be like if you like not one do not ever leave me alone ever like no we we travel in pairs at all <laughs> times this is madness <laughs> that's why cabin in the woods is so brilliant where they're like we should we should split up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like no, we should definitely not split up. Oh, God, this this movie was movie. full of these horror tropes, which yeah. it was funny. It was almost funny to watch. But that the Knowles was the worst one. He just was like, boom, kill me. <laughs> just scream. Especially because that guy was screaming about nothing the whole thing. Someone put their undies in the bin. Blah, 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 blah. And when the monster pulls the guy's face, he's like, fine. Yeah. Totally fine. <laughs> totally normal. What? Normal turn of events considering what they totally had been normal. through at this point, though. Uh, any more tropes? Nope. Okay, science time. So much good stuff here. So I think that we're going to start with environments of science. It's been a while since we had a real environment. Mm. But here... We certainly do. It's Antarctica. So I will talk to you about a few things. Generally, Antarctica, like science in Antarctica, there's about 70 permanent research stations in Antarctica made up of 29 countries from every other continent. And all of these countries are signatories on the Antarctic treaty 
which ensures the preservation and well-being of the natural land, and they cooperate with one another. Now, the first ever station was actually built by the Scottish in 1902. They set out to establish an area for meteorology, which sort of makes the most sense because it's just completely undisturbed and it's a great place for meteorological uh, science. But they got a little bit stuck and the crew actually built the station from the materials they just found where they had to put their anchor down um, because the Scots probably good with their hands i'm imagining um explorers and that is still standing today amazing that station that they built like from materials that they found in a hurry still is standing and is still used which what, is wild what year was that 1902 wow that's amazing yeah it's such a cool hut i know so after that then the british came obviously then chile then Australia, US, Soviet Union, and France, which finally led to the fact that they then signed that treaty because they wanted to ensure all the research was done with environmental responsibility, safety, and respect, but also so that land could be preserved for you know future generations and it wouldn't be destroyed. So that's what they all uh, sign on to, although that will, exp- that will expire soon. So it's kind of important, I reckon... Um, I imagine that there are people that definitely benefit from it expiring quietly without anybody knowing. So I do think it is important that everybody knows that it is going to expire and they need a new treaty so that mm-hmm. it continues. So I reckon we could do a couple of posts, but uh, it's just it's just something we do need to we need to care about. Um, and so that's yeah. Before yeah, so like. Mostly summer is good for research because there's a lot of wildlife then and, you know, they can do a lot of the climate research. So there's all these like field camps for the summer. Um, Now, the treaty states especially that if you no longer are conducting research, you actually have to completely remove all your structure, everything, and leave it like as it was. But the, the removal is so logistically difficult that a lot of people keep them running even though there's no science so for that reason there actually is like skeleton crews just maintaining it throughout the whole year because it's easier than removing everything wow i didn't know that yeah do you think Mm. that means that like it's not not necessarily easy but like within the realms of being able to get jobs or to get like uh, the possibility of being able to do some research at the Antarctica because I guess people don't necessarily want to spend too much time down there. Yeah, I think it might be. I actually started thinking about that um, this week. I wonder how hard it is. I do know people that did expeditions to Antarctica. Mm. Um, Let's do one. Let's do a so Science I'm of the Movies exposition to Antarctica to determine how realistic... The science of the thing is the thing. <laughs> so let's also just go into like, what do people study in Antarctica? Mm. So like, as I meteorology definitely is a big one. Um, but I looked on the Australian government sort of website of like, what is the scientist, Australian scientists doing there? And just to get a sense of what they're studying. Okay. So definitely meteorology, but glaciology. Mm. So the science of glaciers seabird ecology, Antarctic ecology, 
CIsology, ecotoxicology, atmospheric science, krill ecology, remote sensing. We'll get into that later. Marine mammal acoustics. Ooh. Yes. Special specialist in marine mammal acoustics ology, <laughs> ice core ology, paleoclimate ology, and environmental remediation. So people that are highly specialized to the stuff that they're studying, they are there trying to measure and keep track of the impact of humans on the environment and to try to do the work of figuring out how we can remedy a lot of the environment. But the work that people do in Antarctica is so important because they're the ones that are able to sound the alarm as to the impact we're having on the environment. And they're highly specialized, very experienced people doing that work. And that is just the Australian crew. Okay, cool. It's pretty cool. And that mostly happens in the summer because once it's the summer, like the animals just like land and it's a party. (laughs) <laughs> and they can do so much. Right. The winter, however, it's completely dark and uh, very lonely. Uh, so like I said before, uh, there are skeleton staff maintaining uh, places in the winter. And I, I found a great article by someone called, it was an interview with someone called David Nold, who is a safety engineer at an American research base. Very fascinating. Because people people have accidents and die all the time, like because they get they fall into crevices. Not all the time, but it's not uncommon. Right. And so people have to mark out all the crevices in advance. They put marks so people don't fall into crevices. And so the safety engineer at the Antarctic base is very busy. People have accidents a lot, and he has to report all the accidents. So he's like a really busy guy. Um. So, but, so he was interviewed in this article, great interview, and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, and so he talks about winter and it's like severe winter storms, 24 hour darkness, extreme colds. It's like minus 50 degrees Celsius Fahrenheit. It's, not, it's like minus 40, minus 50 um, Celsius Fahrenheit. I don't think when it's down that small, it's that different. Um, and all aircraft traffic to and from Antarctica is discontinued for the winter season because of how difficult the conditions are. So this is between mid-February to late August. So if you decide to stay the winter, you're staying for the duration. Oh. Once the last flight leaves, that's it. Okay. There's no outside support at all. Now, these days, they have email. And some calls. It's very possible in the 80s, either the contact was intermittent or non-existent. Right. So them having trouble with the comms, the weather is very extreme. And so it is very difficult. Okay. Now, so I'll lead into like what I think they were doing in the movie. But I've got a funny story for you. There's a group of South Pole scientists at this place called the South Pole Telescope, which is actually, they're actually playing a role trying to, um, they're trying to image the event horizon of the black hole, the center of our galaxy. That's their project. So that's what they're doing. But every 
year as the skeleton staff say goodbye to the last flight out they all sit down and watch the thing from another planet the thing 1982 and the thing 2011 annual tradition (gasps) that sounds terrible that sounds like a terrible terrible (laughs) idea is this the this is the people that stay the people that stay all through winter yeah oh my god because that's what i was gonna say i was like because i don't find the movie particularly scary but the idea of being stuck in antarctica on a research station pretty much on my own for the entirety of the winter without being able to contact anyone and without being able to get out of there no (laughs) that would be my larger fear just not being able to leave the shining it's terrible yeah the shining it's terrible yeah no he says that like the safety engineer said that people want to go on walks like part of his job is also he talks to people all day to take care of their medical like their health needs and mental health needs and often going for being able to leave the base is like something people really need and often they want to do it alone because for some reason like they they have to really go in pairs but often they really want to go alone just go on a walk alone uh, and so he tries to orchestrate it so that it can be safe for them to go out from the base and just to s- go elsewhere. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway. um, okay, so just I just want to say in the movie, there should be no lights in the entire movie. It starts off, it's like Antarctica, winter, and then the first scene is sunlight. So this was no. confusing. This no was sunlight. right. So that makes more sense then if they can't make communication and if they have to wait for transport like there's no transport coming. If what you're saying about the whole idea of the winter season that makes more sense then. But exactly. I was like why is it daylight then? Why is it bright? No daylight. And if there is sunlight, it's kind of like you know, it's like 4:30 the morning before the sun starts to rise is that glow? Mm that's the maximum sunlight but in the in the summer that the sun never goes down i ask you abby would you prefer sun relentless sun or relentless night uh sun yeah because you can block out the sun i mean yeah i mean that (sighs) that's true um he did say that like coming back home nightfall you really appreciate nightfall a lot because the quiet of night it's like you can't you can but you can't really block out daytime because it's not just the light it's the squawking and i think i I think the daytime even just the lightness of it at least give it you you feel like companionship in some sort of level you feel like the world is awake and you feel like you could go anywhere even though you'd be scared like maybe in a place like that you still feel like you can go because you can see in the distance nighttime you can't see at a distance so you wouldn't be able to go anywhere so no matter what you'd be very very confined so i'd rather have it be daytime all the time and then just block out the the light to be able to sleep than to just exist in a perpetual nighttime Mm -hmm. i would be terrified yeah it's very true although on that point it's actually also true that it's very well lit the, the the bases at night are lit extremely well. It's not natural light, but there's actually light pollution, weirdly. Um, they're not doing any science in the winter anyway, but um, they're so, it's so well lit in the base that it, there's actually light pollution. 
Um, but I do want to like now describe what it's like when summer comes because it's really interesting, this guy, David Hull, Nol- Nold, talking about summer. This is a quote he says about summer. It's hard to describe. Winter is more of a maintenance time at the station, very quiet, slow-paced. There's no mail, no fresh fruit, no salads. But many of the winter overs see this as a good trade-off for the relaxed winter pace. And we have the place to ourselves. Everybody gets a private room, unlike summer where you have to have a roommate. Most of the people who winter are overspoiled and wouldn't spend summers there because they don't want to have a roommate. Ah. Psychologically, the arrival of the summer crew is a shock to your system. The population grows from 200 to 1,000 in a matter of weeks. The pace picks up overnight. When summer comes, there are so many projects running all at once. You wait in line at the galley, at the coffee house, everywhere. Winter employees are not used to waiting in lines and they can't wait to vacate the station. (laughs) That's quite big then. That's a lot of people in comparison to like... Yeah, that's why, yeah. So the dozen or so at the... It's like a pretty small station in the movie uh, as well. It's like just a dozen of them. How many? So, but I guess they're, I mean, this is American one, so I don't know, but it's a big one. So yeah, that's interesting. Now let's just jump into like, having said all that, what do we think they were doing in the movie? So my, my understanding is that it's a generic science station heading into winter. They are a skeleton crew just there to maintain. Um, There's only a dozen or so of them, like I said, Uh, and I reckon... That's like, that's what's going on. That makes more sense because that was my main question. Correct. I was like, who are they and why are they there? Because <laughs> there's no explanation. Yeah, and that's exactly, that's exactly correct. In the book where this is derived from, I know that it's based on who goes there, but this book really draws from the novelization of that um, by Foster. And in that, it's all the details of what everybody does. Now, this is a very tropey thing of it's all in the manual. So if it's not in the movie, you go to the book, which whatever. I hate that shit, but mm. let me do that anyway and say, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what everybody, everybody's job is. Okay. All right. Bennings, Peter Maloney is a meteorologist, actually. Bennings gets assimilated uh, by the thawed out monster uh, at the beginning. So that that's the guy oh, with yeah. the blood f- sort of comes back. Yeah. yeah. How good are that? Oh, with his it, hands that he's like, oh. Yeah, he was, he was just dragged by it, wasn't it? And then they went back and he was gone. No. Oh, have I got the wrong one? I can't re- I told you. No, I don't know Bennings the was the guy. <laughs> he was in the chair in the corner being like tackled by the thing. Yeah, remember that bit? Yeah. yeah? When his hands are like alien hands and they burn him alive. Yeah, okay, cool. Bennings. All right. Blair is next. A. Wilford Brimley is the chief biologist so I guess oh. that might be necessary. But he goes mad from his simulation and he gets locked away. Terrible idea. That's Blair. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. So Childs is a mechanic uh, and he, well, I say Childs, his fate, well. Who knows? Whatever. <laughs> Who knows? It doesn't matter. Clark is next. Clark is Richard Masseur and he is the dark handler and his fate oh. was that he was shot in the head by daddy and then he is another thing he's yeah. not at the thing mm. and you're like okay you've just you're a murderer now 
sure it's okay just, fine he wasn't the thing but there's these behaviors and everyone's getting all like and and if anyone is going to to heighten the situation or try to tackle or anything like that then everyone's going to be a little bit trigger happy because no one has any idea what's going on and you can't really go through the throes of guilt after the fact because why what else were you supposed to do in that situation if he hadn't and then he turned out to be the thing it's like yeah god isn't it scary in hindsight that that dog spends a whole day just hanging around their feet ah poor gets me all right who's next uh copper is the staff doctor and well that's a famous yep okay next um Fuchs is assistant biologist we don't get a much of him he's it's a a a Joel Poles uh, sorry copper was Richard Dysart so Fuchs is Joel Poles and I would get confused he goes off alone and he kills himself mid-assimilation I don't remember who this person is it's it happened very quickly next Gary station commander okay Donald Moffat his face gets pulled by the thing Blair yeah he's he it's in the face gosh he gets killed in the face yes people get killed in the face in the alien in alien too yeah what is it about the face (laughs) it's so personal i suppose because the idea that it would make us uncomfortable it's intimate Mm. (laughs) gross all right so he gets killed by the thing mccready chief pilot survives until the end of the movie at least Knowles is tk carter is the cook he goes off alone about the month about the monster why we've covered that mm. next norris norris is the worst the worst one charles hallahan he's a geologist and it's an unknown time of assimilation he goes on to play the baby spider toy story the baby head spider norris just yeah Norris is the thing the whole time and he has like he collapses with a heart attack and a lot of the theory is that the 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 monster assimilates him and mimics his heart condition as well and then has a heart attack right okay Palmer we're almost there Palmer is the guy who also has an unknown time of assimilation um and it's an unknown time. He's a mechanic and assistant pilot. So he's the one is who the one, is in the it, scene. Is that the blood scene? With the blood. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And he's the one who just transforms in front of them and they're all tied to him. Oh. Yeah. And then we left with Windows. Windows. Yeah. Thomas Waits is the comms operator and he's eaten by the thing Palmer. Yeah. And then burnt. So first, it's, that's when it gets really goofy Those because when you actually see his like, legs are kicking in the air. And he's eating his head. Yeah. And then he's in the corner and then they burn him. And you see the actor's legs, which is clearly just like a doll being like, oh, oh. <laughs> the legs are kind of flopping around. It's a bit silly. That scene was quite rough. I thought I found that scene really, really like, <laughs> it went off. That, it, that, it gets crazy at that point. That is the part where the movie just goes yeah. off. Okay. And that's everybody. So let's now move into like proper science oh, and we're going to first talk about <laughs> the science. I just, I look the, the computer simulation scene when that computer simulation scene came up, I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. Thank like 
I, I wasn't expecting such good fodder for our podcast, but that <laughs> was so fucking hilarious. So he's simulating, he's going, it's like this simulation, an 80s computer of things assimilating. And then he's got a stopwatch and he's timing between the simulations for what, if you have a computer, buddy, you don't need a stopwatch. He's like, tick, 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 tick. He watches the simulation and then it goes, number of people with simulator, 75% probability of everyone here being simulated. He's like, that's grim. And then it goes on and it's like, total population of the people in the world that will be assimilated. 22 million or whatever. And he's like, oh shit. So I didn't think that you asked me like, how could he simulate this? And I don't know. It's funny. Well, that was the thing. It's it was just, really it was like funny. just the way that he did it was just like the probability of infection. Probability of infection is 75%. I was like, how are you calculating what the probability of infection is? You don't know who's infected. You don't know who the thing is. You don't know how many people are the thing. So you, how are you calculating what the probability of everyone being becoming the thing is like i don't understand what's your data what data yeah. have you put into your to, to your simulation what is so this good. it's I, just random and i was just like i loved go. it computer screen classic graphics yeah percentometer 75 percent total world annihilation exactly no and he's sitting with the very old-fashioned stopwatch and yet oh. again isn't this the oh scene God. isn't this the scene where he's alone and like also i was like in the whole yeah. thing i was like if there's ever anyone you don't want to leave alone it's the doctor like don't leave the doctor alone you need him what are you doing what is this Although, to be fair, that was like so I said, funny. I'm so confused by everyone. I'm not even sure if it was the doctor. <laughs> Maybe it, it was. It was, it was Blair. I don't but, know. So going straight into the psychosis that he experiences. Yes. I don't think he went mad exactly because I think he was frightened. Because if you hear what he's saying, he's alarmed the results of his advanced computer simulation. There's a 75 chance that a member of the team was infected already right? And that the entire world population will be assimilated within 72,000 hours, just over three years of first contact. So that was the results of the computer simulation. Within three years, the entire world will be assimilated and already one person is there. So that's okay. his terror. So I think what he did was exactly the right thing to do, even though others didn't understand. So he was saying, smashing the radio, he was saying it didn't want to be the dog. It wanted to be us. He's just begging the dog to get close to the humans because he knows how much we love the dogs. Right. Because we have helicopters and radios that provide it transport back to the population center. So he, the, the, the thing is trying to get into us. So he smashes everything up. Like, I don't think, I think it's fear. Right. I don't think it's the, the wrong decision. Okay. However, however, yes, cabin fever. But is he the thing? No, 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 because he's not. He's then. not the thing yet. No. And then when he gets not isolated, yet. he becomes the thing, and then he starts building the spaceship. Yeah, he becomes. Okay. He becomes a the thing. Later. Okay. Definitely. Because he's isolated for a long time, so Fuchs could have done it because Fuchs runs out at some point. Right. 
Now, I just do want to talk for a quick second about cabin fever、mm-hmm. because, interestingly, this has become a big topic of discussion since the lockdowns, which is、mm-hmm. cited to be the greatest documented episode of mass confinement in in yeah in recorded yeah. history. And I found this paper. I put in the show notes. Cabin fever: the impact of lockdown on children and young people by Paul Crawford. Um, it's not a medically defined condition, but it's called a folk syndrome. So it's just a combination of symptoms: anxiety, lassitude, irritability, moodiness, boredom, depression, feeling of dissatisfaction in response to confinement or bad weather. Routine isolation or lack of stimulation. A person. This is from the article. If you're if you are subject to cabin fever, and again, it's not a medical condition; it's just an observation. He might suffer from sleeplessness or sleepfulness, so insomnia or hypersomnia, and might develop paranoia and difficulty in rational decision making. Sure. So he might have been going kind of mad, but also it was there was something behind it. Um. At its at its extreme, people might feel compelled to escape their spatial restrictions or limited routines, regardless of external conditions or the cost to themselves or others, and it might also lead to self or other directed violence, including suicide.、Uh, that's cabin fever, and yeah, I mean that was observed with some teenagers during, like,、yeah. if you were seventeen during lockdown. I mean, yeah. That was observed, so just wanted to bring that up real quick. That's probably a little bit what might happen in Antarctica if people are isolated. Yeah, and there's an alien, so you know, two reasons、yeah. really. <laughs> okay, now moving on. Unless there's something you want to say about that, about Blair. Nope. Anything nope, you want to add in there? Okay, I've got one more science topic I want to talk about because now there is actual like attempts at science in this movie, which is kind of delightful, and they're like the backscatter has been bringing things up、uh, from way down around here for a long time. I'd say, I'd say the ice is buried. The ice buried in it is a hundred thousand years old at least. So he's saying the backscatter effect is bringing shit up, yeah, and that is how they found the alien spaceship. So I started to dig, what on earth could they be talking about? And I concluded that it could only be referring to one thing. Of course, assuming it's referring to anything at all,、yeah. which it could be referring to nothing. But let's go ahead and assume that it's referring to something real, and it only can be referred to、uh, referring to radar imaging. We've already discussed ground-penetrating radar. That's back in our Jurassic Park episode.、Um, it measures, and you know, that measures the distance between a target and a sensor.、Mm-hmm. Um, but to monitor glaciers,、uh, huge structures that are what a thousand kilometers. So they use a technique. There's two techniques. One is called radar. Altimetry, and the other, which is the most likely one they're referring to here, is synthetic aperture radar, or SAR.、Um, in both of them, 
a radar signal is sent actually from a satellite. So the device would be on board a satellite and sends the signal and the return signal, which is the backscatter, that's what the backscatter is, is what's recorded. So how much signal is returned can depend on a bunch of things, including the following. Surface roughness. So if the surface is rough and bumpy, the scatter will go in directions that aren't other than the receiver of the radar equipment. It only goes straight back to the radar if it's perfectly smooth. So if it doesn't, it will represent roughness, the snow being wet as well, and the structure of the snow depth-wise. So all of those different features turn up as different shades between black and white on the image. And I'll put some link to like some glacier images you get from this backscatter. Really intricate stuff, especially if you know how to interpret the data. For example, uh, dry snow is bright and wet snow is dark because of the absorption or the transmissive properties of wet or dry snow. Uh, And so you would be able to see structures that are not natural underneath, deep underneath the snow and be able to interpret as something under the snow, which is not naturally occurring. How, but... However, glaciers, like I said, they're huge. So this spaceship was what? How long do you think it was? How big do you think it was? A kilometer? Okay, so hang on, because this is confusing. Because like, if we're talking about radar and some sort of imaging technique in order to be able to look at like things of depth and things like that, how on earth does backscattering force actual motion so that the spaceship comes up? I didn't. That was figurative. Okay. My interpretation of things are coming up. They're coming up, you know, like on the screen. I don't know. Oh, okay. It just, they could see it was there. And so they blew it up with charges to get underneath. I decided. Okay. (laughs) I can't see how things could pop up. I actually did look into that. Could things come up? And yeah, there is a way that things do come up. Okay. Naturally. Yeah. Nothing to do with backscatter. So the backscatter for me led me to this point. Yeah. But yeah, there is a way things do slowly get uncovered because of changing climate for sure. Yeah, okay. Nothing to do with the word backscatter. Yeah, so they're just using the word but, in just some sort of random way to express. No, they mean exactly this, Abby. I'm accurate. I'm correct. Okay, sure. They're talking about SARS imaging. Okay. ASAR. Okay. So wait, what? <laughs> the spaceship is about a kilometer. ASAR. What? Wait, but are you saying they do actually specifically mean this? I don't know. Okay, no. I'm just saying they. I'm. I in lost the universe your sarcasm wasn't for a, a science minute. fiction. Okay, horror. that's fine. So they're not using I'll the word backscatter in any sort of a way that actually connects to a real scientific concept <laughs> that links to the co- the concept of something being buried under the ice actually <laughs> gradually just coming up and being revealed. They're just using it as a random buzzword science term. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, my or they're I, correct. Yeah, I mean, the backscatter forces the spaceships to come up. Yeah, everybody knows that. Backscatter forces most UFOs to come up. By the way, when that beginning Classic of the movie, Antarctic. when the spaceship, 
the spaceship crashes to earth come on it was like it was full-on 50s like yeah exactly that was 50s b-movie sci-fi imagery going on there (laughs) the wobble even the wobble i like i wanted to be like was earth accurate as it was with their different like continents at a hundred thousand years ago in that image oh yeah funny stuff okay that's the science that i decided to go into i haven't like gone into the monster because it's a monster but um before we finish wrapping everything up we can just chat about the monster i mean it's i do think yes it absorbs people's memories as it i think it's it's absorbing people's memories as well that was going to be my question because i was like yeah is it is it gaining the memories through the imitation because I mean, the idea of imitation and they bring up the concept of like a chameleon and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, okay, um, you're you're talking about imitation, but imitation doesn't like mean memories because imitation, but imitation is pretending to be something. Whereas if you absorb the memories, then you become a clone. You become a duplicate or you become, you become the object because if you have their memories and you think you're them or a shapeshifter Shapeshifter. it's assimilation assimilation yeah i think like it gets into you and slowly takes over everything okay i'm not sure like we don't really ever see it i have a feeling in the 2011 one they probably show a bit more so it's probably more i want to do it's probably more like the the it's probably more like the fungus idea in um the girl with all the gifts so the idea of something instead of it Classic. instead of it instead of the thing just trying to imitate imitate or look like you it's more like an infection that is going in and taking over your body um and it just takes time for it to bind and uh and gain control in some sort of way of what your body is yeah i agree it needs privacy. It needs you to be alone for like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems like with some of the characters like Norris, it was a very slow assimilation. It took a while for it to be completely assimilated. Yeah. Uh, this assimilation is a, a science fiction trope. This is not a real thing. Yeah. But if we imagine hive mind species that are one organism and just slowly assimilate its prey. Yeah. So that, yeah, they take over the host. That's what it is. So, so it could be operating at the same time, you and the host, but it, it it's like, it mimics you. It's, it seems like it grows, it, it, it eats you and then it grows a new you. And it seems like when the, when the dog is inside it, it's even able to do the fur, it grows a new you and then it becomes you. Uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> the, um, it's actually, if I think about it, I'm not sure. Yeah. Because if it assimilates, it means you're not there by the end of it. Like you're not there. Yeah. It's done a perfect imitation, but by the end of your full assimilation, there's no way you're, you're there anymore. So there's like a... I think it's just slow. Yeah. There's like a process. There's an initial it process. Maybe it's like it gets in your head. Yeah. yeah. There's an initial process of infection, of getting inside you, taking over who you are, gaining your memories and understanding. And then when it's done with you, the process continues 
and the new thing grows outside of you or like bursts out of you and creates a new being that you are a part of but you don't exist anymore and therefore that person is now gone <laughs> your face <laughs> yeah i agree i think eventually you're not there anymore right. but in the process of getting to know you <laughs> it figures out your shit as well so it'll learn your behavior it might get involved in a lot of your muscle sort of memory and responses so it can mimic you perfectly and maybe memory is a part of that but by the end of it you're definitely yeah. not there and it's probably um, only doing that you wanted for, me to ask but yeah. it's probably only doing that for people who who it feels like it needs so like you're beneficial to me because there are more people here and it's useful for me to mimic you for a while to understand throughout this process of then and then then assimilating and absorbing you into my being or something yeah Okay, cool. <laughs> There's a benefit. There's a survival benefit in it just controlling you for a while to learn how to, you know, jump to the next host. Yeah. And now wait, we could go to our next section. No, because then I have a what? question then. Go. Did they die? Did they survive? Was Childs the thing? I mean, people argue about this incessantly. Um, there has a lot of theories. I think that's not the point. I think the point is like just how futile his battles were and how much he was like, fuck another one. Like I said in my summary, I reckon the whole thing was like, be a thing or don't be other thing. I think I like, I can't, I've, I'm done. Well, that's, I think that's something that, that's, but that it's was something my interpretation. that John Carpenter likes to do as well. I think in that allow it open to interpretation at the end or or keep the idea alive that the thing that you're afraid of is still there it's still out there and it can still get you um like either they're both going to die in the yeah. cold of antarctica or one of them is going to die and one of them is going to get out in which case all of humanity is going to die so i don't know it's interesting or they'll go to sleep. They just want to go to sleep at that point because they've realized there's no way out. Mm. And I remind you, there's no more weapons left. They've used, they've used everything. Yeah. They've blown the place up. There's no, there's no, like, source of heat. McCready is a dead man, which he was contented to be. He knew he wasn't going to yeah. get out of there, and he knows that. There's nothing. There's nothing more he can do, and so that's. Yeah, that that's the the chilling part. There's another angle to it at the end, I think, which is coming back to the whole idea of the loneliness and isolation. Like, at least he's got a buddy, right, to slowly die next to, and that's kind of like, I guess it's better than being alone, kind of weirdly, as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of sequels, but uh, <laughs> mm. I, I don't want to go there. Okay, uh, being alone sucks. Okay, let's go to what the fuck. Okay. Let's play the music. What the what the what the fuck. Okay. What's your what the fuck? I have two. Uh the first one is well, the first one is just like I don't understand the timeline of the movie. 
like in terms of the fact that Blair is being locked away in isolation and he's managed to build a spaceship thing. Like not even just that, but a cavern. Like he's dug out a cavern and then built this spaceshipy type thing out of whatever materials he's gotten from I don't know where. So like what is the timeline? Has this been going on for a week, two weeks, a month, a day? I'm confused. So that was that was just one. Yeah, I imagine I was like imagining the thing had absorbed some like creature that could bore into snow in a perfect cube shape yeah. and just be like, like what was Blair up to? It was pretty silly. What's your next one? Um, the dog alien animal is in a small, small cage um, and they still miss when they fire on it. But they managed to hit an innocent husky. Same with the Norwegian guys at the start. They all went to Stormtrooper Academy as well. No one can fire their guns. What is no going on? No one can shoot. Also, that's my what the fuck of like the Norwegians like shooting the dog. I mean, they've obviously been through it with the thing. That, I want to go back to your cage thing and just say that I something that I found very scary about that scene was how frozen in fear they all were and unable to shoot like because of their terror and I did like that feedback you know from the cast from the crew members is like yeah they're frozen and absolutely terrified and becoming competent at their weapons and I and I felt that helped my feeling of getting into the movie okay. because when I saw them act in that those human ways and fail at defending themselves that's what made it a little bit scarier for me okay that husky was cute at the beginning, wasn't he? Yes. All the huskies were cute. I Just, can't cope I with this. I was so cute. All that. So well trained. So well trained. The husky like bounding through the snow and then looking back and being like, is the helicopter after me? And then he's like bounding. And I was like, well, the happy husky. You know how many huskies you see in the summer in Australia for all these yuppies that need a husky? And I was so happy to see a little husky bounding around in Antarctica being happy. Until he turned inside out and kills a lot And how about the CPR scene where they cut the guy, they cut his chest, his chest comes open and his tentacles are like. (laughs) 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 It's visceral. You can hear the slime and it's like just so just disgusting and shiny and they just they don't give us a break no it's it's disgusting all right let's get into what i was actually excited to to let's rate the movie Uh, does it pass the here comes the sad his sam's test (laughs) so does it pass our version of the bechtel there you go (laughs) go what does it pass our version of the bechtel test let me think about that does it does it pass the sam's test does it? Um, the only female presence is the chess game. The chess game at the beginning? Yeah. 9 to E9. The only female presence is the fucking automated, it's the chess computer. I didn't even hear that. That I, he plays I with. didn't even hear that. That's just not even a, no. Wait. Wait. And he calls her a bitch and kills her by pouring his Jim oh, Bean yes. into the the hard drive. 
So that was the only female presence you see is the computer beating him and him saying, bitch, (laughs) and destroying her. And that is the only woman we can (laughs) in the whole movie. Thank you for nothing. Bitch. So is that John Carpenter's thing? Like, okay, so we're going to have all men in the Antarctica. And then when it comes to Halloween, we're just going to have teenage girls getting murdered. Oh, I don't yeah, know I what know. to it's say really about crazy, it. It's it? like the teenage girls are so killable. It's just, it just is what it is. I mean, but there's just, there's so many characters. There's so many of them. And they were so hard to distinguish because they were all the same, mostly, bar two. Um, and it was just like, I don't... Because you could read into it, I reckon, about the thing assimilating all the men. I don't know. Okay. I don't want to think about it anymore. Yeah. Can we move okay. on? Yeah. Okay. D- does it pass? Here comes the science. I mean, probably not. <laughs> Now, the, they, they, this actually gave us a here comes the science moment. We haven't had one of those. We hardly get them. Yeah. We hardly get movies where they're like, and here comes the science. And she's sitting there with a stopwatch with this computer simulation. So uh, I loved it, but it doesn't pass. Here comes the science. Nope. Okay. What are we rating it? Five stars uh, to give. What are we going to give it out of five? I wrote down 3.8 and I wrote this down immediately after I watched it. <gasps> I'm with you. That was the number I thought of. Cool. It's a high three. I love the thing. It's gross. I love it. Okay. That's it. Uh, Okay. Abby, what's next? You choose the movie next. What's it? The next movie I am picking is Angels and Demons. Tom Hanks. Dan Brown, priests stealing antimatter from CERN. Let's go. Oh, my God. Angels and fucking demons. I am excited. I am psyched for this. That is so good. All right. We're doing angels and demons next. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, please do. You can email us at scienceatthemovies.gmail.com. I know Jake the firefighter keeps saying... He'll email us. Never does it. No, there's the, I've not seen. If any you want to submit a movie choice, yeah, you can email us a movie choice. You can also contact us on Instagram at science at the movies, and our TikTok is kind of the place where we're at right now, which is science at the movies. Um, yeah, is there anything else, Abby? And I'm off to New Zealand tomorrow for a science conference, which I'm really excited about. I think people get incredibly loose at those conferences. And I'll, yeah, I'm just excited. I've, yeah, I think that it's loose. Sure. By that, I mean that get on the grog. Okay. <laughs> on the grog, Abby. All right. The beers. Sure. Get on the beers. Yeah, I believe you. Ugh.